Welcome to Curious with Josh Peck. Start the show. Welcome back to the Curious Podcast. My name is Josh Peck and I'm your host and your name is Listener. And that's what you do. You listen. On today's show, Ryan Serhant. You might know him from Million Dollar Listing. He's a badass New York real estate agent, author, ex-hand model, and soap opera actor. Basically, he's like the trifecta or quadfecta of amazing things. So obviously I was fascinated. Uh, Ryan is pretty friggin' successful. His team um, has sold over a billion dollars in real estate in New York. Um, And on top of it, he's just an incredibly smart and nice dude. And I loved getting to sit down and talk with him. So enjoy Ryan Serhant. Same. Newish? Yeah, two and a half months. Two and a half months, four and a half. Yeah, because yours came in December. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Wow, that's yeah. so cool. Yeah, it's crazy. Oh my God, the new dads. Yeah, it's How's nuts, it been so. for you? Like the so far, so good. I get, like, we FaceTime all the time because I'm in the car all day long running around, like, showing houses and right. and all that stuff. So it's, uh, uh, but it's been cool. You guys have help? Uh, her mom moved in with us Huge. from Greece. Huge. Yeah. That's huge. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And- and she's Greek, so the grandmother, her name is Yaya. Her real name is Despina because they're super Greek, but we called her Yaya. Yeah. And so Yaya lives with us. And I think Yaya is basically like the real mom. Like when Amelia and I, my wife, like play with her, she always like looks over to make sure Yaya is there, like in the corner. She's like, where's my real mom? Um, even though her real mom is 60. That sounds about right. Yeah. My, do you have help? Uh, we do. My wife's family is incredible. Yeah. And they're like a proper, wonderful Irish Catholic, like we're all about family, family. Sure. Um, and I similarly sometimes look at my wonderful mother-in-law dealing with my young baby son and think, maybe you should take over. Yeah. <laughs> like, maybe you should be in charge. I don't know what I'm doing. But but the difference is I actually say that. Like, I, <laughs> I made a deal with my mother-in-law in October of last year when it was like, listen, you're going to move in. Mm. Okay. You're going to move here from Greece, leave your husband, right? My, Amelia's dad, leave him in Athens. You guys have been together for 40 years. He'll be fine. Everything's fine. Sure. Um, move in with us in November. And I need you to be here for this kid and for my wife and kind of take care of me. And everything's going to be great. And you tell us what to do. And she does. She tells I mean, she had three kids. She had her first kid when she was um, really, really, really young. And so she knows what to do way better than we do, no matter what the internet tells us. Is that, and you and your wife are in your 30s? Yeah, I'm 34, about to turn 35. She's 33. So you guys are like grown-ups, very capable humans. Yeah, kind of. Like, ish, but like isn't it bugged out to think people do this in their 20s and or teens? Yeah. Adrian right here, my vlogger. Adrian, how old were you when you had your first kid? 19. No. 19. Yes. Planned. 19. No. He, <laughs> yes. he was watching reruns of your show. Okay. Right? Got excited. Got a girl pregnant. And that's his life. You yeah. fucking a Drake and Josh? It's great. You banging a Drake and Josh? That's the only way that's, to do it. <laughs> good for he's, you. He's so excited to be here right now. He's going <laughs> to blow up his spot for one second. But yes. Um, yeah, so he had his first kid when he was 19 years old. My dad had his first kid when he was 19. So yeah, like we we do feel like adults. Like we did it at the right time. Mm. But it is crazy. Like just to think about being at the hospital and being a teenager. Like, dude, I got class tomorrow. Like, we got a baby now? I know. Like nuts. But, okay, so my best friend and his wife, yeah. their mother-in-law lives with them. Sure. I will qualify. The woman's a saint. Yeah. It is uh, so wonderful that she lives with them. Yeah, but yeah. it's an extra human yeah. in the house soup. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Does it ever, do you ever get a little, like, 
everyone I've talked to, when I tell them my mother-in-law lives with us and helps like as the night nanny and all that is like, how could you do that? Mm. How the fuck could you live with your mother-in-law? Oh, I can't do it. I can't do it. I'm like, dude, you don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> she sits on the floor in her bedroom and she knits little booties all day long. And the minute I get home, she like goes and sits on another floor and she sits there. She watches Greek soap operas and eats popcorn and like just comes out to take care of the baby. She's up with the baby, whatever time she passes her off to me. Like first thing early in the morning when I go to the gym and she's like the, she's per, I honestly don't know how I lived before. Like it's, I, the setup is that good. She'll never listen to this. So like, I'm not saying this for her, but like, yeah, yeah. Like even if she knows, where it was she's like what am i listening to that's not a good accent but she um uh yeah she <laughs> i have a russian driver so all my accents sound russian um but she's like she's great like i i even talk to my wife now i'm like how how would how would we be married without your mom like i don't think i could live with you full time like without yeah yeah and without a baby like it's created such like a a nest right like you must mm. feel the same thing now like what was life like before i had a baby and my mom in law living with me it's totally crazy i feel bad that i'm falling victim to every like contrived corny like cliche that people talked about yeah. like i look at the skin i'm like i love you yeah. I really, I want to talk, I do a rant, like an intro to all the podcasts, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I'm like, I'm not going to be that guy yeah. that talks about fucking daddy and me classes. I'm that guy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, it's, it's awful. No, I, I walk down the street to strangers, I'm like, do you want to see my baby? Do you want to see photos of my baby? Yeah. Do you I'm, and I, I'm, I'm totally cool with it. I need to get a shirt that, that says, like, I'm that dad. I'm just <laughs> like, like, I did everything. Like, the minute I knew that she was even coming, immediately I was like, where can I get costumes my size and her size? Yes. You know? Like, and so, and I literally did like found like bunnies, teddy bears, like leopards. I got that one coming up. I put her in a carrot outfit. There was no like big guy carrot outfit. It was a little weird. Mm. Um, well, a baby carrot. Yeah. She's sure. a baby carrot. I'm a big carrot. But I there was that. more like a big orange uh, sleeping bag. You're like an heirloom. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Did yeah. you? Um, so do you think too, the fact that like you're so successful and I imagine before, you know, you met your wife, you were living it up NYC style. You're, you're an actor as well. Or like. Was. Was. Sort of. So do you think like that you can embrace this new life because you crushed it so hard body karate in your 20s? Body karate in my <laughs> 20s. Um, oh man. You know what? On Like my version of nesting like when we found out we were pregnant was working even harder. Mm. Like I, I just wanted to like work even harder and do even more because I knew the baby was coming and I wanted to do, I just wanted everything to be perfect. And you know, it's like a whole new reason for waking up. Like it's a new reason to live. Like I'm not just doing it for myself anymore or for Amelia. Like I am, but I'm also like, it's like legacy now. Like everything I do today is going to affect her. And I think about that, like with everything I say, everything I do, like what we filmed for Million Dollar Listing, like I got butt naked on that show in season two and it still follows me around. And I'm like, damn, my daughter's going to probably see that. And some kid is probably going to print it out on some future printer in 15 years. And that's going <laughs> to suck. And so I just got to be, you know what I mean? Like that's, that kind of stuff is on my mind now. But, um, but I don't know, like I, I still work just as hard, but I mean, she's also two and a half months. Like she doesn't know how to talk back to me yet. She does absolutely nothing. She's totally unproductive. Right. Waste of space to society. Fair, I get um, that. So I still do what I need to do. Do you, uh, are you, you waking up with her? No. Yeah, that's right. That's why you're having such a good time. Yeah, no. no. Do you wake up with your son? <laughs> yeah. I really? mean, ish. Don't yeah. listen. To the, turn turn off. Turn the dial down, Paige. Um, that's my wife. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> she does like 75, 80% of it. Yeah. But like I've got, 
I got I got the system rigged a little bit. So I do the mid like evening or like the mid like four a.m. feeding, right? Okay. Because he's exhausted. Yeah. So I so it's get easy. up. I fill that bottle. I give. He's cooing. Yeah. So happy. A little change. He twenty. I'm like a pit crew at NASCAR. Yeah, yeah. It's like a, the dream feed. He's yeah. going fucking right down. He's gonna sleep for. A, but then he's gonna wake up at six thirty. He's gonna be like, "What's up?" Hey, that's not you. I, I'm ready to live, and that's mom's territory. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. where she takes over. Yeah, we put her down around eight o'clock, and then Amelia will dream feed her at like ten, ten thirty, mm. and then she's down to like five. And so that's outstanding. Yeah. So she's down to like five. If she wakes up, she, like, we don't touch her. She like, she'll coo, she'll play with her black and white little things in the mobiles because she can't see color. Wow. You know, like she just sort of hangs out. But also, like, she's at the other end of our apartment. We have a three bedroom in Soho. So she's at the other end. And if she makes noise, it's Yaya's problem. You know, it's not like I feel bad for her, but they don't wake me up at three in the morning. That's great. Yeah. God bless Yaya. Yeah, God uh, bless. Yeah, exactly. My <laughs> parents are like, they don't understand how, how we do this. Like, are you crazy? You have a baby, you wake up with the baby, you change the baby, you're supposed to be tired. It's what you're supposed to be doing. I'm mm. like, mom, it's 2019. I'm not supposed to do anything. Yeah. I'm supposed to live my life the way I want to live it. Automation. Like, I'm, a, I'm a realtor. Okay, <laughs> like I live that realtor life. I'm saving the world here. Yeah, exactly. Ten million dollar penthouses One aren't going to sell at a time, man. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Do you ever think that there could be an interesting show like thousand dollar listing? Hear Dude, me out. <laughs> there, there. So there is on YouTube. Really? Yeah, I hired that guy actually. No, his name is Noah. Kaplan. Um, and uh, he was at Corcoran and he started, he did like a pilot of a show on his own called A Thousand Dollar Listing where like he was broke, lived with like seven roommates in Bushwick, uh, couldn't get into rental apartments because the door was falling off. Just like the grossest real estate you'd ever seen. And like his brokerage company had a big issue with it mm. because it was like bad for branding. But I saw it. I was like, this kid's hilarious. Reminded me a lot of myself, like wanting to put himself out there and kind of differentiate yourself. Because you have to remember, no matter what you do, in New York, City alone, there are 83,000 real estate agents. No. Yeah. So I called him up and I was like, hey, you're funny. I think you should come work for me. I fired him a year later, but <laughs> he was pretty good. And at the show, he's still doing kind of episode by episode. Wait, he was pretty good, but you fired him? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't, I wasn't as good as I needed him to be, ah. but it was a good experience for both of us. Here's the thing. Like, I see a lot of my friends. I think your show has done, first of all, I'm obsessed with it. But, like, you know, it, it's also like any of these things. It's romanticized sort of like real estate. Yeah. And, like, I'm going to do the clothes. Will I get a $400,000 commission yeah, at three ninety five? Shit. <laughs> when it's like the ra reality is you're yeah. selling, like, half-million-dollar houses in fucking Riverdale. Yeah, like, exactly. Right? It's, eh, it's a grind. Of. Yeah, it's a grind. I mean, the whole goal is to, like, build yourself up, right? So you get to a point where you either have people underneath you who are junior real estate agents who want to learn, who can take on those types of listings. But I talk about it to, you know, to my entire team all the time. Like, to be a successful salesperson is to be successful with volume, mm. right? I wrote a book all about, like, how to build a sales business around having as many balls in the air as possible. Because every other sales book that I read out there when I was trying to become a real estate agent was like... This is how you sell a banana. Like, this is how you do it. This is how you convince people to buy a baseball. Like, this is, and it was all so prescriptive, but it didn't teach me how to build a sales career. It didn't teach me what to do when deals died. Like, no one talked about that stuff. And, like, I would rather sell a hundred $1 million apartments to people who actually want them and need them and who have leases expiring or who are graduating from school than try to sell like five $20 million apartments to assholes mm. who are buying from assholes, right? Who 
are not going to be homeless. Like those deals are really, really, really hard. And that's what they, that's what we put on million dollar listing because they're the most interesting to watch because they're brutal. But, you know, we do like, we do 500 to 600 transactions a year. And like the majority of them are smaller and regular people who want to buy a home and fix it up and move in because they're pregnant with their first baby. So what does it look like? Well, first, where'd you grow up? I was born in Houston, Texas. Beautiful Houston. And I grew up, yeah, and I grew, I really grew up, I bounced around a little bit around Long Island, but I grew up outside Boston. So then when do you, do you move to New York to act? I moved to New York, yeah, in 2006. My parents Great. wouldn't let me go to school for theater. Um, so I went to Hamilton College, a liberal arts school, and I did theater in English. And I kind of saved up enough money where I could live in New York City for like two years and not die or have a survival job, which I knew I just really, really didn't want. Um, and my goal was to do theater and figure things out. And I got cast. I did As a World Turns, a soap opera for a little while. Um, and then they killed me off. No. How, yeah. how many episodes? Not many. Um, I was on the show for, I think, like six months. So, yeah. But that's like in, in soap opera terms, it's, I mean, you're doing five shows a week, right? Yeah, no, not for me. I mean, it was, a, probably, it was probably a couple a week, but I wasn't one of like the main people there every day, but I played Dr. Evan Walsh the fourth and that was like, I made it, mm. right? Evan Walsh the fourth. Yeah. And then they started canceling all the soaps and cutting budgets. And I just watched like as the world turns get cut back and cut back and cut back. And then one day I got a script. It was like, Evan Walsh the fourth takes grandmother hostage in hospital. No. And then she wrestled me on the top of the hospital and I stabbed myself with a syringe and died. And then I, and then I got into hand modeling um, and I paid bills holding phones for AT&T. You have an incredible hand. Both. I'm looking at it now. I have two hands actually. But I, I prefer the left just, yeah. but wow. They, uh, not right now. I like, I've fucked them up since then, but that's how I paid bills. Look for at your bit. nail beds. They're, <laughs> They're gorgeous. I do have deep nail beds. Look at this. I've got butcher's hands. No, those are good hands, man. These look like they would cut through a rack of lamb. No, those are good hands. Those are good hands. They're good for grabbing like axes and stuff. <laughs> yes. Yes. Indeed. Or machete or two. Yeah. Wow. yeah I played a lot of piano. I really don't know. But my hands were like, were I, I held phones for AT&T and that paid bills for a little while. And then I just ran out of money. And I had a friend who was like, dude, you can't give hand jobs all day long. You have to like get a real job. And you should get your real estate license and become a broker. And I was like, real estate is the worst. Real estate brokers are the worst. Like, it's so stupid. I don't want to be trying to get commissions from people. And real estate's hard. Like, it's just no salary, no nothing. But I, it was that or bartend or wait tables or go back to school or something. And getting your real estate license is actually pretty easy. It's like a couple hundred bucks in, in New York anyway. I think it's like 75 hours. You click online or you go and sit in a class. Do you judge people who fail their real estate exam? <laughs> Um, yeah, go do go I mean, a little, a little bit, kind of. I've never hired anyone who's like failed it at least once because it's like if you can't study for the real estate exam, which is like what is a house, mm. then you don't have enough drive to really want to do anything. Like it's 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 designed for people to pass it. It's not like the bar, right? Like the bar exam is designed so that people won't become lawyers. The real estate exam is designed so people will become real estate agents, which is why there's so many of them. Wait, okay. I have so many questions. First, soap opera. What yeah. was that like? Like, cause you guys are filming, first of all, do you use cue cards or do you have to memorize the script? No, it's all memorizing. It, and you get it that morning, right? Yeah, the night before. Yeah, you get it the night before. One take, right? Yeah, one take Jake. Um, because everyone wanted to go to lunch. So like you, and you would film basically an episode, a half, a episode and a half a day. No. Um, yeah. And the episodes are an hour long and, and because they would only they cut down the shoot time from Monday through Thursday too. They were dark on Fridays 
and we would film at JC Studios, which is the Crosby, where, where the yeah, where the where the Cosby's uh, the Cosby Show out in Brooklyn would shoot. Um, and it was crazy. It's a crazy experience, though. And I got onto it because I won an internet reality show. If you really want to go into my life, what what was that? It was called Intern. It was um, where CBS was trying to like keep soaps alive where people kept going to reality TV to get their soaps and follow people on social media, right? When that was becoming a thing, because this was like 2007. Mm. Um, and so they created an internet reality show called Intern to find the next soap star on As World Turns, get it? And it was on CBS.com. And so they'd start with 13 actors. They'd destroy your soul audition by audition. So we'd have to go through like the crying audition and then the death audition and like the love scene audition, the monologue, all that. And then the executive producer of As World Turns, his name was Christopher Goutman, um, would come over the loudspeaker and he'd go through like this awful like survivor process of like, that was the worst audition I've ever seen. You cut. Yes. And I made it to the final three. We got an under five role for each of the final three. We went on as world turns and then America voted. And I, I won season two of intern and then got on as world turns. You've been a winner for a while. Dude, you, you're a winner. You, 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 so, I mean, well, I, uh, you're I mean, a winner, man. It, into, I mean, it was the internet reality show, I guess. Yeah. I yeah. mean, but you have to say, right, there's a part of you, like there's a performer to you, no? Sure. Yes, right? for sure. And this, I don't know who I really am. Like when I sit by myself in the corner, I, I do think sometimes like, what am I? Is that like, true? Kind of, a little bit. In what way? Um, you know, cause my whole life, like I was, I was super shy and introverted growing up. Like I wasn't good at talking to strangers or anything, but my parents bounced around. Like I moved eight times before I hit fifth grade. Why? Um, just for my dad's work and bouncing around. Military? No, banking. Mm, yeah. Oil? No. All right. Standard investment <laughs> banking. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and so it was just tough for me and I wasn't into sports. I wasn't good at sports and, um, and so like I, I, theater for me was like an outlet where I didn't have to be myself, right? I could be other people. And as long as I could pretend to be somebody else, then I didn't have to be myself and I wasn't comfortable in my own skin, I guess. Like I'm mature enough now at 34 to know that that was the reason. At the time, I, I couldn't speak about it that way. But like, and then trying to be an actor is then the only thing that I was ever even a little bit good at, you know, cause school just wasn't my thing. And then sports sucked and... So I was like, this is the one thing that's going to work out. And then real estate randomly is a very, very performance heavy business. You know, it's like, especially residential real estate, because it's an all an improv every day, every single client, whether I'm talking to a mom whose babies were raised in this apartment and she's having a hard time with it, or a dad who's angry about it, or an investor from China who's just about the numbers, like every single person takes a different personality and it's just improv, figuring out how you're going to get to the end of the scene. And that's kind of the way I look at it. Well, so many ex-actors or failed actors, I should say, like, because I'm always considering it. Like, we, they consider, I mean, real estate is like the the number one job for anyone who is sort of still acting or might be like taking a break from acting. But I think that's because, like, if you are good at improvising, are good looking, you could Good talk people to people. Person. Yeah. I mean, these are skills that really sort of transfer yeah. over well. Yeah. And when Million Dollar Listing started, 
because um, that show cast in 2010. So mm. I got into real estate at the end of 2008. Literally, my first day was the day Lehman Brothers filed for bankruptcy, September 15th, 2008. And it didn't affect me because I had no money. Like I was, like I'd, I'd just been killed off a of soap and was hand modeling for rent. Um, and so I, I only had up to go as a lot of real estate agents were getting out of the business because it, like the world came to an end for a little bit there. Mm. Um, and so, you know, I just sort of had to figure out like what to do next. And I just got addicted to the process of like, I could meet someone on the street and I might get paid if I show them someone else's apartment versus I'm gonna go stand in line in Times Square at an actor's equity audition, not get seen or get seen and then they already cast it anyway. And like, you know, like when you're trying to act in New York City or anywhere, you spend a lot of time just spending money and at least trying as a real estate agent, I just, I, I just knew that if I put the work in, the work was gonna take care of me. Like I might not do every deal, but at least I do one. And then next month, maybe I do two. And then next month, maybe I do four. And then those people would introduce me to that person who'd introduce me to that person. And they'd all get a kick out of the fact that I was holding phones for AT&T and getting paid and they'll just rent an apartment because who cares? And that's literally how my business started. Does it become like a dent? Like I've heard if you're a dentist and yeah. you have two, like a, you have a book of business of 2000 patients you're set for life. Yeah. Because, you know, they're only coming in twice a year anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like, does, is it that way in the real estate world of, like, if you have a pretty couple hundred people in your book of business, it's just going to continue to feed itself? Not really, because, re you know, like, with a dentist, you got to get your teeth cleaned at least once, if not twice a year. Yeah. You know? And then you've got, like cavities and all oh, that root stuff. Canal. Yeah. With me, I might sell an apartment to somebody once or twice in their entire life. Mm. And a lot of my clients, they buy something in New York, 10 years go by, they sell it, they move out. Boca. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. They're so going to Florida. Let's so it's, be honest. It's really just managing those long-term relationships. So you get the referrals, you get to meet the people they know, and it's also telling everyone in the world what you do. So it's just being a shameless promoter of your own success that way. Mm. So it's just like, if you sell something, you let the world know. Otherwise, how is the world going to know to reach out to you? And success begets success. Like that is just how it works. Do you have any thoughts about why real estate agent porn is so big right now in the porn community? Like on Pornhub and yeah, stuff? Yeah, yes. Yeah. It's um, huge. It is. It is huge. Um, and people send it to me all the time. <laughs> I don't know. I think just because it's like one of those taboo things where maybe people just like imagine like hot real estate agents like shutting the door and showing you the master bedroom and then right. like taking your pants off. I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I Maybe our listing should go that way. You know what? Exactly. Like if Bravo wants to like really amp things up, just like turn up the porn level. I think you know so what I mean? too. It airs late at night anyway. Who cares, man? It's 2019. I get so upset. Like, cause it's fine, right? Everyone wants to close the deal. It's good for everyone. That's fine. But when the guy decides once he's finished that he's not going to buy the place, that's not right. Oh, you're talking about the porn? <laughs> yes. Oh, they're talking about like real life. <laughs> real life. You know what's so honestly, as that story is going through my head, all I'm thinking about is, man, Josh Peck watches porn till the end. <laughs> <laughs> He's in it for the fucking story. I like, skip around. No, do you really? No, I don't think you do. I think you really. You like you wait till you get to the end to see if he's gonna buy it, and then you're like, oh, he bought it. Boom! There we go. I'm good. I'm a romantic. What can I, I say? I love it, dude. I love it, man. You're in it for the story. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Japanese anime porn and whatever it is. <laughs> whatever it is. I think I think it's called hentai. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um so okay. 
I really, I do want to move on from this, but got any good hand modeling stories? Like when you're in the middle of hand modeling, are you literally like keeping your hands under your pits when you walk, like protecting? I wear gloves. I used to wear like, they've got these like big green Luberderm gloves that you'd wear that have like moisturizing elements to the inside and I would sleep with them and I'd be like really nervous about like cuticles and everything because they would pay me like, you know, acting for the most part in New York City for the exception of the soap was you do it for free. Right, like you do free theater to try to get seen, and you do free student films, you make a movie with your friends, and you do all that kind of stuff. Um, which is why, like, side note, getting into real estate for me, the rejection wasn't as bad. Most real estate agents who start, like, they're in and out of the business within the first year mm-hmm. if they're lucky. Most of them are first six months because they just can't handle the rejection and working for free. So for me, spending two years in the city being rejected to my face, like, no one ever said, you know what, Ryan, I don't want to take this apartment because of your face. Like, yes. So it, for me, it was much, much easier to get through that. Um, but yeah, so the hand modeling, like you'd get paid 150 bucks an hour. And like for AT&T, they'd paint my hands and those shoots would be 10 hours. And I'd book, and they'd book one campaign would be like five days and it would be 10 hour days. And so it'd be 50 hours, 150 bucks an hour. And I'd be like, boom, I am rich. They'd paint your hands? Oh yeah, yeah. If, if you Google Ryan Sirhan hand modeling, it's a weird fucking trip. It's no. weird. Yeah. Should we do it right now? Sure, do it. Okay, listeners. Ryan Sirhant, hand modeling. Gonna... Yeah, you could see me, like they, they would paint, because they had an ad campaign for a while and they're on billboards and everything where it was like back in the day, right, with Blackberries and stuff. It was um, like AT&T Wireless, now in wow. over 500 countries, like China. And then my hands were painted, my whole arms actually, I'd have to shave my arms and my hands and everything, were painted like the Great Wall of China. And they'd hang me upside down on a decline weight bench. And for 10 fucking hours, no. I'd have to put my hands up through this light, the circular lights, you know, that they do in cameras and stuff, and hold a phone. And then the, the photographer who's French would be like, please move the metal tarsal of the right you know middle finger and your hands would cramp up and then i would have to like get off and like a little masseuse would come over and like massage my hands it was really tough but they didn't want to mess up the paint it's a whole thing man it was hard i had to retire yeah get into real estate like it just it was it was tough life do people do that lifelong i think like two people hands get old though they do hands show age yeah they do right yeah it's hard right especially like the fingers start to go Right, like you see, but people listen. If you're a professional hand model, like you take care of those hands, like a good Asian grandmother who still looks forty, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's. I remember when I would like go out and like date girls, and before I met my wife, and and I would look at their hands and be like, ah, smoker. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You can tell. Yeah, you can. Right, and yeah, exactly. Oh man, dude, I I know, I know, and I just like I I I get PTSD sometimes from it. Like I dropped a weight on my thumb a couple months ago, and it ripped the the nail off my left Mm. thumb, and now it grew back three times for some weird reason. Like it's got this big groove and stuff in it, and my immediate reaction is like. Oh my god, I'm out of work. That would be And then I have to remind myself, no, that was 12 years ago. You're a real estate agent now. No one cares about your thumb, but immediately like I go back to those days. Right. Yeah. So I I see like and obviously I'm sure it's trumped up for the show, right? But like you're suave, like you got the haircut, you got the rolly, the like haircut, yeah. you know, you got you have a driver. Yeah. Like is how much of that is selling an image when you become a high-end real estate agent? Um you know, honestly, some of it is, I guess, part image, but you do it for the client. Like I tell people all the time, man, like if I could show apartments in like sweatpants and a t-shirt and be respected and have my clients feel like I was showing them respect too, I would do it. Mm. Like suits are nice, but I don't like want to live in one. 
you know, they're kind of uncomfortable, especially when it's 90 degrees in July, you know? So it's like, you want to, you, you want your clients to feel like they're the boss, like they're the wealthy ones, but you also want them to feel like you're one of them, like they're, you, you're their peers, right? And like, what I always tell people is people hate being sold, but they love shopping with friends. You know, it's like that classic person in the shoe store. Like you walk into a shoe store and that person's like, hey, can I help you? Can I help you? Can I help you? And you're like, absolutely not. Yeah. And you look at one thing, you go home, you buy the same pair of shoes on Amazon or on Nike.com, right? But if that person came up to you and complimented you on the shoes you're wearing right now, no one walks into a shoe store barefoot. So like you're clearly there kind of to browse for fun. And if they make a small, immediate relationship with you and you could see yourself as their friend, even if you're not thinking about it on that much of a macro scale, that person will sell you all day long. That's how I get sold now. And w- this is sort of like a two-part question, but yeah. will you will you tell someone like, this ain't the one, like this isn't right. And yeah. on the other side, will you also say, this person doesn't know what's good for them. This mm-hmm. is right. They just don't know it. They're too emotional or they're blinded by something. Yes. Like, I imagine you have to play both sides of that fence. Yeah. And it's hard because everyone's a genius. No matter how rich the person is or how poor they are, like, they all, for the most part, think that they know what's best for them. And they all have advisors and parents and, like, teachers and people that they all want to talk to. And everything's on the internet. Like, the same issue other salespeople have with Amazon, let's say. It's the same issue I have with Zillow and Realtor.org and Trulia. Do you hate them? Not really, because they provide more information. It makes it a more openly traded market. And I use those websites too. Like it just makes it better than having everything be private and I got to dig it up. You know, that's, that seems pretty annoying the way it used to be. Um, but I have to talk to people all the time and say, listen, no, you don't. Why would you buy that? Like you should buy this and these are the reasons. Trust me. Like if this was my money, this is what I'd be doing. And a lot of times it's on the sell side too. You know, like people think that their places are just worth a lot more than they are. And I have to have that difficult conversation with them to say, I also want it to be worth that, but it just isn't. Mm. And it's actually worth a lot less. And let's figure out how we're going to squeeze as much out of that lot less number as we possibly can. So it's a lot of psychology all day, every day. Like I don't actually do anything, you know, when I really think about what I do. Like I, I market things sort of, but I really am a psychologist to people, to buyers and sellers, and I connect them and I work their emotions and I try to plan for the future emotion that they're going to have tomorrow. And that's how you sell. Well, I always watch the show and I think, what's the danger of putting it up for less money? Because if it's the value will be found yeah. through a fucking sick bidding war, yeah. you're like, oh my God, we have nine offers and this one's all cash and this one's loan contingent and fuck them. Let's do all cash. I watch the show. Yeah, I love good. the show. But I appreciate like, it. Right? Like, yeah. why would you ever overprice your shit? Because there's always the fear of what if. It's the what if. It's the 50-year-old bachelor who's like, I can't settle down because what if Jennifer Lawrence meets me tomorrow? You know what I mean? Mm. Like it's that what if, and that's every seller, 99% of them. Cause it's always, yeah, but why don't we just try? And because this guy got this and Jimmy got that and bop it, bop it, bop it, I need to at least get this number. And my argument all the time is that is just the wrong way to go about it. Yeah. Right. And my argument is exactly what you just said is, listen, the way they do it in Australia is the way you should sell. In Australia, you don't search by price points. You search by price ranges because no one says I can afford a place for $2 million. They say, I went to my bank and I am approved from 1 million to 2 million, I guess, you know, like I have $200,000 saved up and I can buy a house with that. How much can I buy? Like that's how buyers think. Mm. Sellers never think that way. And so if you price like a buyer would search, 
you will always sell faster and for more money. And that's what we try to get sellers to do. But a lot of sellers are just stubborn. Like they're just stubborn. They're greedy. They don't listen. And they think they're hiring me. So I'm going to drip magic all over the place. And I do my best. I do my best, but it's hard. Does wealth ever gross you out? Oh. Mm. Depends on who the person is. Like I deal with a lot of very wealthy people and you would never know they're wealthy, right? And they're almost embarrassed by it. Like they just want to take the subway um, and they drive like just normal people cars. Do you ever, if you're working with a billionaire who takes like the L train, do you ever yeah. want to be like, what, what are you trying to prove? Oh yeah, but and I get, say that to them. Get like, an I Uber literally, black. Yeah, and I, yeah, get an Uber <laughs> black, yeah, exactly. Like I'm dealing with a couple billionaires right now and they are so cheap and I, I call them out on it all the time. I'm like, dude, what, what are you, you're, you're so rich. What's the problem? Yeah. And they'll give me the whole spiel. Like I only got the money to get this way. I'm like, yeah, but. Shut up. <laughs> like you're you're so rich. Like why are you why are you making my life so difficult? Why are you being such a pain in the ass? Just do the thing and move on. Totally. You know? I can't tell you, you know, I work primarily in social media and that's how I make a lot of my money now. Sure. And so throughout the last five years, I've had like two billionaires approach me and they all have the answer to Facebook. And I'm like, good luck. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, I've cracked the gold and uh, I've got the new Facebook. Yeah. I'm like, word. And, <laughs> <laughs> and they always take you out for a beautiful dinner yeah. with like champagne. It's a thousand dollar dinner. And then they're like, so listen, I don't want to pay your $20,000 fee. I'm willing to give you equity. I'm like, in your bullshit company that doesn't work? I'm exactly. like, it's 20 Gs. You just spent that on like Toro sushi. Yeah, 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 yeah. But they never, billionaires don't want to spend a dime. No, they don't. Yeah. Like they'll, they'll spend, they'll, they'll buy a place for a lot more money as long as that monthly maintenance bill is lower. Like they'll spend a lot. It's, it's like they, it's, they just don't want to spend money, yeah. um, which is exactly what you just said. Yeah, it's the same thing. And okay. then you get the random billionaire who just doesn't care. So- any, I mean, like any stories, any wild ass stories of you? I mean, you know, we don't have to go as crazy as the Pornhub ones, but like yeah. any, like you showing an apartment, they're like, let's see if the bedroom works. <laughs> like, yeah, no, man, no one's ever like propositioned me that way. Seduced you. No, I mean, we just like, dude, in New York, like you get scammed all the time more than anything. Like people take out contracts that are fake. You know, they come through with girlfriends just to prove themselves. They fake Goldman Sachs bank accounts. Like mm. they just, they do everything fake. They'll take contracts out and then they just vanish off the face of the earth. One of the biggest deals I ever did was a guy um, not from this country uh, who like sent me an email that said, I want to invest in New York City real estate. Do you have a bank account that I could transfer funds in? Uh, I'd like the Upper West Side. I was like, uh, sure. Yeah, but I had no yeah. business at the time. So I responded and like we went back and forth and back and forth. And he sent me this proof of funds by DHL with like someone with like African headdress on it, like this whole photo thing that said that, you know, Mr. X will not commit to things that Mr. X does not commit to. Like that was his proof of funds. Sure. Um, and I sent him a listing for a property on the Upper West Side on 67th Street for like eight and a half million dollars. It was all over email with someone who was probably just scamming me. And he agreed to purchase it for $8.3 million. It was like the biggest deal ever. And then completely vanished off the face of the earth and connected him to attorneys and all that stuff. And then eventually, randomly, his attorney, like six months later, called me and said, uh, you're not going to believe this, but you know that scammer guy from that country that you should never talk to ever? He just wired us $830,000, and you're now officially in contract on this property. No. It's like, shut up. Yeah, but- You sold City, it? 
In New York City, though, you have to do these things called board packages and purchase applications. Like it's not housing, right? Like it's in single family houses, you can, but you got to do a whole application process to get approved by the board. Otherwise, you can't close. Like you can have all the money in the world. If you won't fill out an application that says who you are, how much money you make, get personal reference letters and all that, you cannot buy into a building in New York City, right? Just as a PSA for anyone listening. Um, and the guy totally disappeared. And every email, and I followed up with him like ad nauseum over and over and over and over and over. And he totally disappeared. And so what it became, as we assumed, was what happened was the guy said, okay, this thing used to be on the market for $14 million. And now it's not because the market, this is like 2009 and 10. Mm. Um, now we got it for 8.3. So he's going to take that contract and he's going to take it around the world. And he's going to go up to unsuspecting victims. And he's going to say, I have a $14 million apartment in New York City in contract for only 8.3. Come in on it with me for $10,000. And he'd do that to like 200 people and then just steal their money. Right. So he then, but why would he put it under contract? It was so confusing. So then randomly I BBM'd him. You remember BBM back in the days? Sure, Blackberry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. BBM'd him. It was like, listen, I'm going to be in Paris tomorrow. I think you have a place in Paris if you want to fill out the board application. Just trying to get the guy to respond to something. And he wrote back, sure, and gave me a time and a location for a bar. Terrifying. Worst. The worst. And I had an intern at the time. And so she quickly figured out how much it was going to cost me to fly to Paris. Because I had no other deals. Like, this was my only deal. And if this guy was even 1% real, I had to go. Like, I, I, now I probably wouldn't because screw that. But, like, then I had to. And I flew, like, you know, Aer Lingus to Dublin and then Dublin to Paris on Ryanair, which is super fitting. Um, and got there. And then the guy didn't show up. Um, whatsoever. And then it was like two in the morning and I had a flight back the next morning because I just thought I was coming in for one night. Right. The guy rolls in with like 15 dudes, all huge people and says, I'm sorry, I'm late. So now he's real and not going to put me in an oil drum, but maybe, and is only interested in getting me drunk. And tequila shot after tequila shot after tequila shot. He like sort of scribbles some papers, but doesn't really do the rest. I kind of fill in the rest and then disappears, and I fly back to New York and submit it as an application. We still didn't even get approved by the board, but we forced a title company to ensure the deal anyway so that we could close, and then he didn't show up and vanished again. And then three months after that, sorry, the story's so long, you asked me, three no, months, three months after that, in. the guy uh, uh, emails me and says, I'm coming to New York City, I'd like to close. And we're like, Literally by that point, attorneys were, everyone was, they were, it was litigation to try to take the deposit back, right? And our attorneys on our side are like, dude, I don't even know where our client is. If he's even real, we don't know who you met in fucking London. I'm sorry, we don't know who you met in fucking Paris. Like, what's going on? Right. Like, this whole thing is crazy. Um, uh, like, so there was, everyone was really, really upset. Everyone was really upset with me for putting the deal in the first place. I had this, like, huge commission on the line that maybe would never, ever come through unless it closes. But you have and 800 all of a sudden, grand. I'm sorry? But you have 800 grand, right? Right? Like, in, in an attorney escrow account, 830000 So no one can touch it. No one can touch it until it gets surrendered. And how does it get surrendered if you can't find the guy? I mean, there's default periods and all that, which is what they had kind of started. Mm. And like at the last minute, he says, I'm in New York City. Meet me at the Mandarin Oriental. I tell everyone that he's here. I'm like, okay, I'm going to get him to do a walkthrough. I'm sorry. This guy just operates at his own schedule. And I go up to the Mandarin Oriental at 80 Columbus Circle in the morning. He doesn't come down, doesn't come down. Two hours later, like, my phone's going to die because everyone's pissed off that, like, maybe he's not even there. And this is just a big scam because it's New York. That's what happens. And he comes down 
with like even more people. He's got an espresso assistant and a fleet of black tinted Escalades floors it up in front of 80 Columbus Circle. And we all get into it. And I have no idea what's happening. I'm like texting my mom goodbye. Yes. Like, I don't know what's what he doesn't want to go to the apartment either. He doesn't care about the apartment. I'm like, it's right there. 80 Columbus Circle next to 67th Street on the west side. We go to JFK to the back of JFK and there's a seven I say it's a 747 because I don't remember it's a really big airplane not a private one 747 is a two-tier jet it's so it's a big one it was a really big one I don't remember what size it was but it was a massive one he gets out signs papers buys it gets back into the car we go he closes all he cares about is getting a BBM profile photo for that closing and he is the most real guy I've ever dealt with and he has more money than Gaddafi and he only cared about moving some money around and just didn't care about a little white kid from New York City harassing him over and over. And the only reason he ended up closing was because I harassed him and because I stayed on top of him. And he thought it was kind of funny that I made it all the way out to Paris and got drunk with him. That's what he told me word for word. And we've done like 200 million with him since. That's probably like the best story I have. Never done porn. Oh my. It's okay that you haven't done porn. It's a long line. What I do, though, I'm going to send you the link, and I want to wait to see if you make it to the end. <laughs> Just send me the end. Don't even send me the first three parts. <laughs> I like the conclusion. <laughs> That's unbelievable. Wait, this is so... Uh, so what'd you get, like $300,000 commission? I don't know. What was, I mean, no, On it was a direct mil? deal. It was 5%. Of um, eight point three million, whatever that math is. It's yeah, like that's 400, like four yeah, four hundred eighty thousand. Yeah. Are you dancing in the streets? Like, yeah, it was a good. That was, no that was a great deals? day. That was a huge. That was. I mean, like, it, for me though, honestly, it was such a hard deal. It took forever. I thought about quitting the business like twice during that time. I thought about going back to school because I was like, if this is the way real estate is in New York City, then screw this. But it was a chance, you know, and it, who knows if it ever will happen ever again. Um, but that then paid my rent for like a bajillion years, you know, at least 400 months that, because my rent was like a thousand bucks a month at the time. It enabled me to get a more real apartment and to like buy shoes without holes in the soles because I just wore them into the ground. Um, was there was there reticence for you to go on million dollar? Yes. Million Dollar Listing, yeah, for yeah. sure. Everyone said don't do it. Because? Everybody. Because in 2010, reality TV was the real world, Survivor, the Kardashians, you know, uh, Paris Hilton, Simple Life. Like, that's what Little it was. Little People, Big World. Yeah, Great show, exactly. So that's it was a lot of, like, just kind of random stuff. And everyone said New Yorkers aren't about reality TV. It's housewives. Like, Bravo is housewives. Mm. Don't do it. And my, like, my argument was kind of like kind of what we're doing now with YouTube. Like, listen, it's like the more people who know what I'm selling, the better. Like success begets success. And if I could meet one person extra through the added exposure, then that's going to bring me a client that I otherwise never would have had. And if someone really doesn't want to work with me because I'm on a TV show, then fine. It'll be a wash. I'll meet somebody else who really does want to work with me. And then obviously we proved everybody wrong. Did you see a specific spike in your business from the show? I had no business. I had... It's zero business. I mean, but I was didn't like they introduce a you as like badass? Yeah, I sold myself that way, dude. I went into that uh, that casting audition because my boss told me to go, and that was March of 2010, and it was like a 30 second thing. I showed up with 3,000 real estate agents at the Hudson Hotel for the LA Million Dollar Listing spinoff. That's what they called it at first because mm. it wasn't a franchise yet. It was just Million Dollar Listing LA, um, and they were going to do the New York spinoff, and they were just like. 
why should you be on the show? And I was like, because I'm the best fucking broker there is. Just, and then I don't, and then I like, I blacked out. They're like, how do you get around the city? And I was like, what did I say? I said, uh, I was like, I was like Range, Range Rover. Rover by day, black car by night. What and does I, that even mean? I, just, <laughs> I, think, I think a Range Rover satisfies both those no, things. No, but I, I had to go big, man. Go big or go home. And you're yeah. like, how much have you sold this year? And I was like, bitch, I can't count. <laughs> right? Range Rover by day, rollerblades yeah, by night. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Scooter. Um, <laughs> and then they came back and they cut it down and cut it down and cut it down. And then they like they did an audition where it was like they followed around us around for half a day. And I knew that at that moment, I was like, this is where I'm going to get on the show. Mm. Like if they are willing to follow me around for half a day, I'm going to give them the fucking tour of their life. And I exhausted them. And they cut us down to four people. And they filmed the first season of Million Dollar Listing with four of us. And they told us, and like I tell people now, like you think real estate is tough, like come to the TV world. Like Bravo cast four of us on that show. And they said, the three of you who we like the most and who are the best are actually going to make it on the show. Good luck. Jesus. So we were like so stressed out the whole time. And the producers would come to us and be like, oh, yeah, this is a cool listing you want us to film today. But you know, Michael, um, he's got something like $10 million more. And I think he already sold it. And we're going to go over there right after this. But um, this is cute. We'll see if you make it. And we're like, oh, God. They really play with your emotions. Dude, like it's brutal. They're they're manipulating you. Let's be honest. Yeah. Are we all manipulating each other just a little bit? My friend's on Vanderpump Rules. And I'm like, is this really going on? You're breaking up with your boyfriend? She's like, I know what it takes to get my own segment on the show. And I was like, (laughs) damn, Kristen. Sorry, Kristen. But like, it's like you got it. Like, it's all all real. I mean, like for us, like it's more than like Vanderpump and Housewives and stuff. Like we, it's a real estate show. Like the, the properties are real. It's not CGI. Like the clients are real. But like are we you can't really them. representing them? Yeah, 100%. Okay, Bravo but- checks all of our contracts. The last thing they need is like a Bear Grylls, man versus wild situation where someone blogs about it not being real. Like it would be over. Because I'm going to tell you one episode of Million Dollar New York I saw. Yeah. There was a buddy of mine who I recognized who was at like a $5 million apartment on Park Avenue open sure. house. Sure. And being like, I'm really thinking about buying this. And someone on was the buy like, side. Yes. Yeah. On and, the buy side, people uh, will come in and like, they'll come to the open houses. That guy lives in Staten Island. Sure. So, you know. So does Joe, actually. <laughs> I used to. He used to. He upgraded. I, Joe is probably the only one from Staten Island that could afford a $5 million. No, there's <laughs> a lot of them. Right. They're secretive, you know, millionaires over there. My boy yeah. could not. I yeah. was like, yo, bro, I bought you a bacon, egg, and cheese two <laughs> weeks ago. You are not buying an apartment it's, on Park It's million dollar listings. So the, the listings are all real. The sellers are real. The deals we do, they have to be real. Because the real estate websites and the blogs would, like, tear us apart if it was ever, like, fake or staged. It ha- which mm-hmm. is why the show takes us. This season we're filming right now, season eight. By the time we're done, the, just one season will have taken us a 11 months to make. Jeez. It takes forever. Forever. Because they follow properties. And like the average property in New York City now sits on the market for a year. So it just takes a lot of time. But yes, buyers will come through to open houses. And if they're interesting, like I don't check like who they are, where they're from, if they say they can afford it and they're kind of quirky, like they'll film it. And if it's good content, they'll put it up there. And then you'll see the actual buyers too, or like the buyer's representative or their lawyer or something. Where wouldn't you want to sell real estate? Um, anywhere where there's no volume. Like I, I'm addicted to New York because you can literally be in one building and sell more in that one building than most real estate agents around the world will sell in an entire decade because the volume just moves. Like people are moving in and out of New York City all day, every day. Like we, I sell two homes a day, right? And so like it's- Like right now, you're selling two homes a day. Yeah, I probably sold, yeah, we probably sold at least one since I've been sitting here. No. Yeah. I, was, big, I have a team, 64. 
So they, they operate underneath me and we sell a lot. We have a lot. We sell a lot. And so it's like that. I, I can't. I can't not do that. Like I, so I have a team here in LA. We have an office on North Canon. I've got a team in Miami. I've got agents in Chicago, Dallas, Boston. And like even those best agents can't touch the volume we do. And it would literally just drive me crazy. So to answer your question, I don't know, like North Dakota would probably be real slow yeah, for me. Barren. I would probably lose my mind. <laughs> so how much are you team managing as opposed to selling now? I, on, uh, probably 50-50. A lot of my job is managing, and it's not just managing team because the team knows what to do. That's why I have them. It's it's, it's managing the client base and managing the sellers. And I, I look at teams very much like sports teams, like like a football team, let's say, right? Like I quarterback everything, and I also kind of coach, but I can't get deals to the end zone unless I have great teammates around me, you know, who can take the showings that I have today that I can't be at because I'm with you here in LA, you know? And so they all work together with me. That way we never miss showings and we're on top of it. And the commissions aren't higher. Like I tell every seller we work with, like you're hiring an entire army. Like you get my army, not just me. And there's a lot of brokers who think that that's the wrong way to go about it. They're like, yeah, but it, then it's not personal. I'm like, yeah, but then you don't pick up your fucking phone. And then you can't show up at 5 p.m. today because you have another listing in the other town next door and you won't show up. And that's a buyer that you won't get. And that's just doing a disservice to your client. Mm. Can you distill, I mean, what you've built over the last 10 years is, Unreal. And you talk about these teams and, yeah. and the show and all this. Can you dis distill down one or two things that you would attribute to what has allowed you to be that successful? Is it that unrelenting, I yeah. emailed the crazy Qaddafi rich guy yeah. a thousand times? What is it? Um, yeah, man. I think, um, you know, I, number one, it probably is uh, like a, a relentless work ethic. Like I'm consistently afraid of failing. And like I was terrified when the soaps ended because I thought like my life was over. Mm. Like things are that do or die for me, which is totally unhealthy. But at the same time, like I wake up every day and I'm like, fuck, what if I don't sell anything this month? Like I have goals set up for myself that like I get sick if I don't hit them. Um, Still. And for the team. Oh yeah, for sure. So well, cause it, now it's, now it's even more public. And the more we sell, the bigger we get, the more shows and this, that, the other, the more people know what we do, what we do and don't sell. And it's not great. But when is enough enough, Ryan? <laughs> you know? I don't know, man. Like never, probably. Like as much as much time as I have to do more, then that's what I want to do. Like it's like why not? Like I my biggest fear in life is wasted potential. You know, like when I really think about things that way. Like I I'm terrified of the fact that I could just die and leave something on the table. Like I was just on the plane. I flew here. Literally, my bag is in your corner, um, and I watched. I think probably for the twelfth time, Whiplash. Mm. Right which is an awesome movie. Um, and there's that awesome monologue in there where J.K. Simmons says the two worst words in the English language are good job. Like you tell someone good job, they will stop trying. Because they're like, nah, yeah. all right, eh, all right. I, I did do a good job, that's right. But if you tell them how it is and get them to work harder, they'll show up the next day and they'll do something that they, they themselves even didn't know that they could do. And like, I want that for myself and everyone who works for me to push themselves even harder. Um, oh, Miles Teller's in Whiplash. Yeah, Miles Teller and J.K. Simmons. When, yeah, I see Miles Teller, when I see Miles Teller at an audition, I leave. Really? <laughs> yeah, I go, have fun, Miles. <laughs> good job, enjoy the movie. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I'm not gonna even try. Um, and, and not to get too personal, but like, because I, I identify a lot with you in that like insatiable spirit and that yeah. fear of like, what if I don't book for next month? Yeah, yeah. How does that play in your relationship? Because I know my wife and I, like sometimes Art. she's like, get off your phone. Yeah. It's, I mean, Amelia says that to me all the time um, and she will take it away from me. 
Um, I mean, we do have a rule where like, listen, I, I, if I do anything after 6 p.m., she has to at least know about it and I have to run it by her. She will always say yes, mm. because she knows that work makes me happy, right? Um, and so, but at least we're like together that way. I'll BCC her on certain emails so that when I get home and talk about work, she can see like certain shit that went down. And she's like, I know I saw, oh my God, I can't believe he said that to you. Um, and then Saturdays are hers to decide what she wants to do. And now honestly, it's like with the baby. Um, but she also like, even with the baby now, she gets weird that I'm there. So she's like, don't you want to go to the office? I'm like, kinda. She's like, okay, go. I'm like, okay, okay. I'll be back in like a couple hours. Cause the office is my happy place. But I try to put the phone down. I try to keep the phone down when I'm around the baby, but it's like, I'm an on-call doctor that way. Like I, you know, people will send Uber IPO on Friday, right? IPO on Friday. Saturday night, so 24 hours later, I'm at dinner with my wife and her mom and everything, and I get a text from a guy connected to a couple of the guys that founded Uber. It's like, hey, I know tomorrow's Mother's Day, but um, could you meet us at 9 a.m.? We want to see a couple things. And I looked at Amelia, and I'm like, I got to take this call. Got up, took the call, met those guys on Mother's Day, right? Spent five hours with them in the rain on Mother's Day walking around, and Amelia was cool with it. But let's, let's clarify, Amelia's first Mother's Day true i just took a heap of shit from my wife about not planning enough for sorry Paige, for our first mother's day but again that's like to your point when you talk about the on-call doctor thing it's like but you're not you're not curing cancer and where is that like where when do you distinguish like yes i want to show billionaires apartments but god like i only get you know one of these or you know it's hard yeah i think you know, the Uber situation is a little bit different because mm. it, like, I didn't want to pass that off to someone on the team. But also the, a big reason as to why I built the team was one, so I could do as much business as possible. Two, so that I could, I could have a culture and an environment for younger agents in a way that I never had. Because being a young real estate agent anywhere, New York City or wherever, is really, really hard. And it's an emotional roller coaster. And if you don't have help or someone leading the way for you in a 1099 atmosphere, like you'll hate your life and you'll quit, which is what right. most people do. Um, but, you know, I, so I, I, I rely on the team a lot. If it had been like just somebody saying, hey, I want to see apartments tomorrow or, hey, can you do this open house? Yeah. That's what I have we 64 buy people a, for. Buy a co-op in Astoria. You're yeah, like, no, yeah. bitch, this yeah. is Uber. Yeah, I got yeah. time for Uber. Exactly. <laughs> like, Shit. So then you, listen, the more, the more you sell, the more you do, the more you're able to like, you know, the more you're able to be selective, right? Right. Which is what you try to be. But I mean, I try to be there for all of my clients as much as I can. It's that balance. I mean, you're building the life, right? And this is what it takes. Sure. Yeah. What, um, okay. Uh, I have two more questions and maybe my wife and I, we got to buy a place, Ryan. And we're scared. Yeah. You're scared? Yeah. Scared. And I got a little bit of scratch. I have a podcast. I'm doing well. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm terrified, man, because I've only rented my entire life. Yeah. My wife and I got married two years ago, and we just pulled out. We almost bought a condo like last week, and I was like, nope, because we're going to have to do renovation. Yeah. And, it's expensive. Too much money. Yeah, man. It's no longer a good deal. No. So Too expensive. Bye. Sorry, contingency. Why do you want to buy? I don't, because everyone tells me to. Why? I don't want to. So I, don't. Really? Yeah. I mean, listen, I, I'm a real estate agent, right? Like I, I, it's okay to rent. Like I think if you have a down payment that's just chilling there and you don't have anywhere to invest it, like you're not going to invest it in some other business or elsewhere, you don't want to put it in the stock market, it freaks you out, like, and it's just there, then you might as well buy something and get a good deal because you're going to pay to live somewhere for, you know, anyway, and you 
probably, you know, rent is burning money at the end mm. of the day. Um, but if you can rent and then use all that extra capital that you would use for the down payment on something else that's going to make you more money, either in different types of investments or more branding for yourself or whatever it is that you do, then do that. Like I, I, you know, I don't prescribe to the idea that buying is like the worst thing in the world. There's a lot of guys out there now who say like the American dream is dead. You know, no one should purchase anymore. And that's why the economy is failing. And it started in 2008 and it's coming back. Like, I, don't, I don't believe that. Like you're going to pay money to live somewhere anyway. Mm. And the greatest thing you can do in the United States is own a deed. Like in China, they've taken deeds away like three times. It doesn't matter. You know, in the United States, if you knew back then, a hundred years ago, what you know now, you'd buy up every single inch of Los Angeles if you could. Right. You just don't know, right? Same thing in New York City. Like that's what John Jacob Astor said. He said, if I knew then what I knew now, I'd buy up every single inch of New York City. But you just never know. Um, but that's because appreciation is a real thing and land value is scarce, right? And it only, only goes up in the long term. I was talking about this to these guys like Amelia, right? My wife, her dad was in real estate in New York City in the 80s and early 90s. And the savings and loan crisis hit in the early 90s and he sold a lot of his stuff because he had to, his cash flow. Comes back to New York City from Greece for the first time, uh, I think it was like 2013. I'm driving around with him and he's like, oh, let's go see some of my old buildings. I'm not even gonna try to do his accent. His <laughs> name is Leonidas, by the way. Strong. One of his old buildings was on the corner of like 23rd and Lexington. Ouch. And I'm like, ah. Ah, he had a diner in like Times Square that he owned, a parking garage in like Hell's Kitchen, these buildings all over Brooklyn. And I'm like, dude, you didn't think about me? Like, didn't you know I was coming in 20 years? Uh, like, what's wrong with 30? Like, it, uh, and, but like it's cash flow, right? And so had he held, I mean, that's, he probably had a $100 million portfolio today, but you just don't know, you know? Wild. But like, so what I'm saying to you in a really long-winded answer is like, if you don't want to buy something because it freaks you out and it makes you feel better every day to have that cash in your bank account or being used elsewhere, then don't. Like It's okay to rent. Put it elsewhere until you're really comfortable to where you're kind of pissed off you don't own something. Mm -hmm. And you'll know when you feel that. Like It might not be tomorrow. Maybe it's in a year. Maybe it's in two years. And maybe by the time your boy is two or three, you're going to be like, shit, we got to actually live somewhere else. Like, I want a place with a backyard. Let's go to this different neighborhood where his school friend just moved to who you don't even know right now. Right? That's so smart. God. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to live in a three-bedroom condo in Marina Del Rey, Ryan. Yeah. I want to live in That's where our hotel is, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> you guys at the Ritz? <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's where we're going. I'm just going to buy right next door. Oh, okay. We'll say hi to you. Yeah. No, you won't. I pulled out. <laughs> but my wife's from beautiful, like the beautiful South Bay, like Manhattan yeah, Beach, yeah, Hermosa. Yeah, yeah. The school district, it's a 10 throughout all. Yeah. I'm talking middle school, high school, but the property value is sick. So I'm like... Like, baby girl, just give me like another year or two. We're going to be able to buy your dream house and then we'll Listen, do I it. I think in, in New York City, it's the best time to buy. I think California is about to feel what I've felt for the last four years. The market went down hard in New York City in 2015. Like, and it really started correcting. It is a buyer's market for the last couple of years. Like, mm -hmm. what you can get in Tribeca today is 50% off what you would have had to have paid three to four years ago. Really? And, and New York always hits it first, right? The rest of the country is slowly starting to feel it. I think the best time to buy in California is probably going to be in two years from now. Like, I think prices are going to come down hard. <laughs> 
I'm a fucking genius. Right? Yeah, you are. Oh my god. Like, and listen, I'm sorry to all the real estate agents and everyone listening. Like, but go fuck yourself because I've had to deal with it for four years in New York City mm. as every other real estate agent around the country is like, do bidding wars everywhere. Like, there's nothing to buy. Like, oh my god. Oh my god. And we're like crying in New York City because, like, I just we just sold something today. I was on the market for 500. So it was on the market for 877 days. It took us to sell this house that we sold today that we're really excited about. 800. 177 days. I tell that to people in San Francisco. They're like, wow, our average days on market is 17 minutes. I'm like, okay, all right, it's coming. It's coming. Get yeah. ready. Jeez. No. All right, last question. Ask everyone on the pod this. Yeah. Um, you're in a scene and it's, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I was going to go down the Pornhub road. I can't. I can't. Um, okay. Uh, what are your one or two Ryan Serhant commandments? Truths that you have discovered that you would want to to give to someone else? Um, that's a good question. I would say, um, probably, okay, my two would be, one is my follow-up principle, which is follow-up, follow-through, follow-back. I'll teach that to my daughter. I teach that to everyone on my team. I think it's the only way to get ahead in a world that's got, you know, news items every single second, 10,000 people trying to get at you. There's, you've got to make noise in some way. The only way you move forward is through the power of incredible follow-up with people. And like every day, like I have an email system set up to remind me to follow up. And that's a huge way that I do business. And then my second commandment would be, um, you take care of the work, the work will take care of you. It's actually a music quote, which is you take care of the music, the music will take care of you. It's from jazz musician who is like, how do I get through life in the jazz music scene when it's just really, really tough sometimes and it's really good sometimes. Like you practice, you take care of the music, the music will take care of you. Same thing for work, right? Same thing for all of us. Like you just keep doing what you're doing every day. You wake up, you show up, you're gonna do a lot more than most other people and that work is gonna take care of you and everything will be okay. Yeah. My man, thank yeah, you. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad you have revealed to my listeners I watch porn to the end. Yeah, dude, you revealed that. I know, but you helped. <laughs> yeah. And that's why I'll never forget you. <laughs> Thanks, man. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> that was it. That was Ryan. Come on. What a guy, right? Good interview. Fun. And how about me? I didn't buy that condo. Turns out it was the right thing to do, so... Sometimes being a fearful procrastinator works out to your advantage. Uh, check out his show, Million Dollar Listing New York on Bravo. Thank you guys for listening. Have a great week. Bye.